All right, guys, as you get to James 5.13, let's go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read through verse 20 together, um, but the teaching today, we're going to be looking at just through verse 16, James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. We believe that, God. And we want to humble ourselves and bow our hearts before your authority. Lord, not only is it your word, but I believe that you have specific direction and words into specific lives in this place today. Lord, that people who are suffering and people that are cheering and people that are sick and people that are in sin and stuck in sin, Lord, would be just healed and changed and just lifted up today. And Lord, just believing that you have something specifically for today, just this week, just really sensing just, just you, just you want to move, God, in the hearts of men, in the hearts of women. So Lord, we just say, this is your church. Move in power and in might for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. The theme of the book of James is, is that faith works, okay? Faith works. Uh, we've been saved by the grace of God through faith in what he's done. We are not saved by works, amen? By the deeds of the, of the law, no flesh will be justified, but we are justified and declared right before God because of the works of Jesus, because of what He's done for us in his perfect life, in his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. Uh, it's, it's not about what we have done, but we have been saved for good works. We've been saved to accomplish good works, to bring glory to God. This book is a book that tells us that we've been saved to action. D.L. Moody calls it a book of shoe leather Christianity. A book of shoe leather Christianity. That being said, uh, James once again calls us towards action. One pastor said that, that faith leaves tracks. Faith is just always moving and shaking and it leaves tracks. Just as you big game hunters out there know what, what an elk can do to land. What a bear does to land. You see tracks, you see scat. Is that right? Grandma Barb was like, you know it's called scat, don't you? You know, right, scat. 
scat a tat tat I don't know. You know when they leave their droppings along the trail and you're like, ooh, something's been here, right? Animals leave tracks, so too faith leaves tracks. Unicorns do not leave tracks. Bigfoot doesn't leave tracks. Although some of you think you've seen some. He's not real, okay? So too, a non-existent faith won't leave tracks, okay? A pretend faith won't leave tracks. A faith of your imagination won't leave tracks. If you have a genuine faith, we will be able to tell by your life. That doesn't mean that you're perfect all of a sudden and and all of that. It means, though, that there will be fruits of righteousness just naturally growing by the Spirit of God out of your life. And it will be evidence that you've been impacted by the God of the universe as he dwells within you. And so all that being said, we're closing up the book of James in the next few weeks. And James just has a lot of things to tell us of of how our faith will be moved towards actions. The title of today's message is that we will have prayer and praise in our life as we respond to life circumstances. Prayer and praise in response to life circumstances. James goes back to the struggles he left off with in verses 7 through 11. And he tells us that one of the tracks of our faith will be that our faith will persevere. Our faith will persevere. And it will be prayerful in sorrow. It will be singingful, songful in cheering. It will be prayerful in sickness. It will be repentant in sin. And all of this we see in these verses that we read together today. We see that prayer is all over this section of scripture. In fact, every verse speaks of prayer. One of my good friends and favorite pastors, uh, Sandy Adams from Stone Mountain, Georgia, he writes, the last few verses in James 5 deal with prayer, but look carefully at this morning's passage and you'll see an underlying theme, community. Yes, James James champions the power of prayer, but he talks about prayer in the context of community. Let's look at some of the verses that we have already read. How about this? Is anyone among you suffering? That speaks of community. There's a group of people. It's not one person. It's a bunch of people, and one of them is suffering. Then it says, Call for the elders of the church. So there's a specific group of people, a body, Blaine did a definition as he was doing announcements of of the ecclesia, this gathering together, the church, and they have leaders that God has placed to lead them in humility and in servitude. And they're, they're to call for specific elders for this specific group of people. We also see, and there's all of these one another statements in this section of scripture today. We also see that we're to confess our sins to one another. Not confess your sins to yourself. I already knew I did that. Thanks for telling. Well, you're okay. All right. A little bit of weird things going on there in your mind. Is anyone in sin? Confess your sins to one another. We read in verse 20, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, then someone needs to go and bring him back. 
All of this talk on prayer is within the context of community, one another. Now, real faith talks to God, but it talks to him for other Christians, and it talks to him with other Christians. God has called us not to individualism. God has called us to be a part of a flock, right? He's called us to be part of his vineyard. He's called us to be one stone among many stones that are put together that build up the temple of the Lord. And so verse 13 of our text says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, I like that this starts out, anyone. And there are just degrees of suffering, but he just lays out, is anyone going through suffering? Maybe your King James are here today and your Bible says, is anyone afflicted? Going through a misfortune, distress, going through a time of trouble, anyone, anything, anything in your life that's just causing you to be a bit anxious, worried, anything from I'm a bit anxious to, oh my, I don't even know how I'm going to make it through the day. I'm going to die today. This whole spectrum is anyone suffering. And so I asked the question, you can raise your hand, is anyone suffering today? Anywhere on the spectrum from I have a hangnail all the way up to I stepped on a nail. All the way up to, okay, yeah, there's hands. And you're lying if you're not raising your hand, so let's be honest. There's suffering, there's stress, there's anxiety, there's worry. The old saying that we're either coming out of a trial or we're in a trial or we're going into a trial. All right, that's part of living in this fallen world, going through this distress. Verse 10 of our passage says that the prophets are examples to us in suffering and that patient endurance through the sufferings. And what do we do in this time of suffering? Do we run and hide? Do we isolate ourselves? Do we go through periods of self-pity Do we run to the Rocky Road ice cream and just eat it all in one sitting? Maybe we don't, but okay. What do we do? Do we eat anxious bread at night and lay in bed sweating and just like, what am I going to do? Well, the remedy, James tells us, for anybody suffering is to pray. That's not cliche, all right? That's not, oh, I knew you were going to say that. That is it. That is it. That is the remedy. Pray. Pray when you're hurting. Petition the Lord. Pray and plea to the Lord. Knock on his door. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I love that we sang that song today. Today and its, or the day and its trouble will come. Guaranteed. The day and its trouble, it's going to come. And tomorrow, there's probably going to be some trouble that comes. All right? Don't worry about it, Jesus says. Tomorrow, tomorrow's troubles are enough for tomorrow. Today's troubles are enough for today. So call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And notice there's not a period there. 
So I call on the Lord. He delivers me. I've got my spring in my step again, and I'm good. It doesn't end with us being good. It ends with us glorifying God. That is the chief end of man. What is the purpose of God bringing us out and through trouble? Not for us. It doesn't end with us. So much of the American church tells you that it ends with you. As long as you're happy, it's all that matters. No, it ends with him. Him being glorified. So call on the Lord in the day of trouble. He will bring deliverance and he will be exalted and glorified. One of the most beautiful New Testament passages concerning calling on the Lord if you're afflicted is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Man, memorize it, church. Memorize this scripture where it tells us, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So worry about nothing, but in everything, go to prayer. Go to petitioning, bringing it before the Lord. And in all of your bringing it before the Lord, make sure to be thankful. How many of us are thankful when we're in the midst of the trial? We're called to be thankful. What does that do to our our mindset? What does that do to our heart? When we go into prayer, I'm going to die. She's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. They're going to respond like this. I'm going to lose it all. It's broken, whatever it might be. But then we go to And I thank you, Lord, for the way you've provided here. And I I thank you for this. And I thank you for that. And I thank you. It just begins to take our eyes from our trouble. And it gets our eyes on him. All right? It gives us perspective on the situation. And as we are thankful in prayer, it reminds us of God's faithfulness in our life. That he really has never left us. And he really has never forsaken us. And I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what it does? It just completely leaves all that stuff down there. Romans chapter 8 says that the, the hardships of this life are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that he's working in us. And thanksgiving in our prayers You begin to weigh the tough stuff and you weigh the Lord's stuff. You weigh the tough stuff and you weigh his faithfulness. And it just launches the tough stuff off of the scale to where it's just, it's only the Lord. And and we begin to remember his past faithfulness. And it demands present trust in our life. Don't forget the Thanksgiving parts, guys. And and, and tucking my kids in at night. Just discipling them in their prayer lives. And so often, you know, we're just doing all we can to just get them in bed. (laughs) Guess God, I pray with you guys, I get out of here. You know, nobody? (laughs) And we're just like, okay, we're just going to pray. And we're going to, as much as we want to rush this, we're just going to let you kids pray. 
You know, and these prayers start off like, Lord, help me to have a good day and help me to have a good time and help me to just get all this stuff. And, you know, they're just so like me focused and we're just like, okay, let's let's get our eyes off ourselves for a little bit. Let's stop just hoping we have a good time and let's begin to worship God in adoration. Let's begin to thank him for who he is. Let's confess our sins to, to each other and to the Lord. Let's move beyond the me monster here and let's exalt Christ. And it's just cool to like, you know, we got to just keep reminding, but it's just growing. We're growing little disciples and little prayer warriors in our home. And yet, how many of us are still the little me monsters in the church? You know, and we're pulling our hair out and we're ripping our clothes in anxiety and we never remember to thank the Lord. But if we would go to prayer, thanking the Lord, let our requests be made known to God. You know the friends of D.L. Moody, the famous preacher back in the 1800s? The friends of Moody would say, we'd be riding along in a coach talking about the flowers on the side of the road. And Moody would just go to prayer. Just like almost interrupt. Like, oh, those are beautiful. Oh, Lord. And just everything that would come to Moody's mind, he would just move to prayer. Charles Spurgeon says, I try to, between every breath, insert a prayer. Just continually praying without ceasing. And just moving so quickly to prayer. When we are prayer warriors with thanksgiving hearts, even in the midst of the battle and the trial, the peace of God, which is just beyond our comprehension, that God is going to bring peace into this circumstance. I mean, we are on the ship that is going up and down in the waves, and it's about to capsize, and then Jesus says, peace be still. Ka, 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 you know? Could you imagine being on that boat, and he rebukes it? He rebukes the waves, and that boat is still? Lord, how do I have peace in the midst of all this? I've got peace. It's beyond my understanding, but Philippians tells us it will guard our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. That speaks of a, like a Roman garrison being just positioned around our hearts, positioned around our minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to come back in a little bit to a paraphrase of this scripture. But with all this being said, in our prayer, Psalm 55:22 says, we're to cast our burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. I love, you know, Peter almost nearly quoting that in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The literal translation is roll, excuse me, roll your burdens onto the Lord. Roll them off. Roll the burden. I think of Atlas, you know, doing that. And he just, "Ah, I'm tired of that. Just rolls it off onto the Lord. Literally, cast your cares upon him, for they are his cares. They're his cares. And isn't that just, maybe that's a word for you today, just the Lord knowing you, knowing you so intimately and loving you so greatly that he wants to take that off of you today? Like every one of you here today, you've got something. And you need to roll it off. I, uh, 
was part of a singing songbook when I was a kid. I was on a singing song tape when I was a kid called We Sing. And so I always loved the We Sing tapes and the Salty, the singing songbooks. Do you guys remember that song when the kids would sing it? I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. In any time, I don't know what to do. I will cast all my cares upon you. I cry at that song. It's just beautiful. I cast my cares upon you. I lay my burdens. I roll my cares upon you. They're your cares. Guys, some of you, you know, we joke, you you might have a hangnail today. Some of you are going through it. And I can't even imagine, or I haven't been there for a, a long time, but you are scared, or you are hurt. You know what it is, and you need to know today that the Lord knows what it is. And he wants to take it. He wants them to be his cares now, and you can just give it up. A close friend of mine from Corvallis, one of those mighty men of valor that I just honor so much, he used to speak into my life as a young pastor, and he'd say, listen to me, and he's quoting like Oswald Sanders or something. He says, bear not a single care on thyself. One is too much for thee. By the way, I'm speaking in King James Version. The work is mine and mine alone. Thy work is to trust in me. Don't take one weight on you. You got it on you? Get it off of you right now. One is too much for you. The work is his and his alone. Your work is to just trust. It's just to trust. Second Chronicles chapter 20 Three million men are coming against Judah to conquer uh, Judah and wipe out Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat hears of this giant army coming. Three million men coming. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. And he cries out to the Lord. And he says, Lord, we are surrounded on every side. And I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. And he proclaimed a fast. And the nation fasted and prayed. And the prophet heard from the Lord and said, you send the worship band out into battle. And you let them go in front of the whole nation and you let them worship God. You will not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves in prayer and in worshiping God and all do the fighting. So what do you have, church? What do you have? Sin? Health problems? You've really angered somebody or you're really angry at somebody? Position yourself. Someone came to me and spoke to me this week and just said, I'm in the midst of a battle and I don't know what to do. And I'm listening to this whole story and I just said, that's really bad. Fast, fast, and cry out to God. And I can tell you, God's going to move. And you're going to give him glory. Fast and pray. Trust him and he will move. 
and the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. This peace is also found in Isaiah 26, 3. And I'll tell you what, this scripture has just been peppering my week. We are studying Psalm 17 this week on the Wednesday night midweek Bible study. Don't know how many of you know, we have a midweek gathering here at this church. Wednesday night, gathering in a circle, studying the scriptures, praying for the nations, worshiping God, and interceding for one another. Don't miss out on it. And as we were in Psalm chapter 17, there's a speak of the Lord bringing peace to the people that trust him. And I just hadn't even thought of this verse until that moment. And I say, hey, Blaine, what's this reference for this verse? He goes, Isaiah 26, 3. I know it well. And I go, yeah, I've got, it. I've got the verse memorized where it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. Do you need peace? Get your eyes and your mind on Jesus and there will be peace. October, I let my little girl, you know, Russell comes home from school and he had seen uh, Michael Jackson's thriller video there and I hadn't seen it. And I was kind of like, what is that anyways? And Lainey ends up seeing this video as I'm watching it. She basically watches Michael Jackson turn into a werewolf as a five-year-old. Don't know about you guys, but that's not a good parenting thing to do. I don't recommend it. Just terrifies her. And so, you know, she can't go into the pantry next to the kitchen without, like, thinking the werewolf's going to pop out at her. She can't go down to the hall or go in the bathroom without, you know, a zombie or something going to attack her. That was me in fifth grade when Jurassic Park came out. But, you know, there's a velociraptor in there. I know it. But it's being real here. Anyways... And it just got to be like, you can't go to the bathroom. You can't go change your clothes. Like, and I just had to say, honey, like, that's not real. But the truth is, this world has a lot worse stuff. And it hurts, and it's scary. But Jesus is bigger and stronger, and we don't need to be afraid. And so you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. My little five-year-old. And so we developed this little thing. Where I, she'd go, I can't go into the... And I'd go, hey, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And she'd begin to keep her eyes on Jesus. And then, like, it was within a couple days that she's like, I'm not scared of zombies anymore. I'm like, well, that's good. And then she'll just, she'll just, she won't even say anything. And she's like... And I'm like... <clears throat> Anyways. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I do that to myself now when I am afraid, when I'm scared, when I don't know what to do. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He will keep your heart in perfect peace when your mind is fixed on him. This translation, the Phillips translation of this Philippians 4, says don't worry over anything whatever. Don't worry over anything whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer and the peace of God which transcends human understanding will keep constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Christ Jesus. Want it even more simplified and roaried down? <laughs> Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. You might say, well, when I'm in trials, I don't feel like praying. And I get that. I understand that. 
The beautiful thing is we have in the scriptures the prayers of other men. So you pick up this book and you turn to the Psalms and just start praying out what David prayed in the Psalms when he found himself there. Pray out what Paul prayed when he found himself there. But you pray. Charles Spurgeon says, if you find that your heart beats cold in prayer, then hammer it hot on the anvil of prayer. When you hear there's a Wednesday night prayer meeting and you're like, I can think of 30 other things I'd rather do. Then you get down here and you hammer your heart hot on the anvil of prayer. And I'm telling you, I've been there. But I come and I position myself and the Lord warms my heart. And the Lord moves me to prayer. Not only that, recently I was at a college retreat preaching to 100 college students and moving them towards world missions. And there was a word of prophecy given that there were still people who had their hearts cold towards Christ. And we just opened it up. If you're here today and your heart is cold towards Christ, would you just be brave enough to just say, my heart's cold towards Christ. And would you come down here and just let us pray for you? And so someone came down and he was just stone cold Steve Austin, man. And, 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 I, and he, I just said, man, thanks for being honest. Like, you know, what, what's your name? Riley. Okay. And then, you know, about 15 people come up. Lindsay was one's name. Not, I mean, it was her. Uh, you know, Russ. You know, all of these people coming forward. And I was just like, can we just pray for you? And I quoted Spurgeon in that. And we began to pray for about 15 minutes. About 90 college kids prayed for these. Just prayed. Just cried out over them. And then all of a sudden, one of these cold people prays out, just weeping and melting before the Lord. And another, and another, and another, and another, and another. And all 15 just began to be melted before the Lord. When you least feel like praying, that's when you most need to pray. That is when it's most necessary. Samuel Chadwick says, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. You guys know the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If there's anyone suffering among you, let him pray. And trials can become a source of joy for us when we respond to them in the way that God intends. And we will turn into cheer in those situations. And the next section here says, if anyone is cheerful, if anyone is cheerful, if anyone is happy and rejoicing and full of merriment, then sing out psalms. Get real before people. It's okay here if you're full of joy to be full of joy. That can be like a breath of fresh air to the people who have the thundercloud over their head. Be a breath of fresh air. Be a Barnabas. Be an encouragement. But guess what? Even when you're the one suffering, you can be the one praying out songs of praise and joy. 
In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Barnabas had just been arrested in Philippi and just been beaten and scourged. But as they're sitting there with wounds open and exposed, Acts 16 says that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. So after having just been beaten and everybody heard the whippings and everyone knows that they're in pain, these men began worshiping God and praising God. And it says there that all the prisoners were listening. Do you guys know that people are watching you in the way that you're suffering this week? Peter would call us in 1 Peter to suffer well. Suffer well as an example to those who have no hope. Show this world your hope. Show this world that you can have joy in the midst of any circumstance. And when we have that joy, we can sing songs of praise and cheer. We see that in the scriptures. We see with Moses, after he'd just been brought miraculously with the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, God delivered them from Pharaoh's army with the miracle of the Red Sea uh, opening up. Israel crosses through on dry land. But do you guys know, not, even, not only was that a miracle that this whole Israel nation family runs through the Red Sea, but also that the glory of God came in behind them and was like a smoke screen so that Pharaoh's army and his chariots couldn't see. They couldn't even go after him. And so there was light on the side where they were going through the sea and there was fog and confusion because of the glory of God. And so as they made their way through and then the Pharaoh's army tries to, to follow after them and the waves crashed down and every horse and every chariot and every man died. How did Moses respond? It says immediately after this story in Exodus 15, then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. And then going on, the song goes on and on and on. And as the song goes on, Exodus 15, 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And then the song goes on in verse 20, when Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, takes a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam says, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider is thrown into the sea. You guys, when God has done things like this, we are called to more than, I can barely get the words out. No, we are called to, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. That is not a dumb Sunday school song. That is an army of horses and riders that got blown up in an ocean. And today you can go there and see chariot wheels in the water. It's not a dumb song. You can sing out, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but I trust in the name of the Lord. Guys, this, isn't, this is real. This will be all of eternity is us worshiping God. And we got to get past the whole like, wonder what I look like if I like. Forget it. You are way too into yourself. Get into God. 
Get into what he's done. Focus on what he's doing, even in your hard time. And you can't help but sing. I'm right there with you. I've been there where it's like, you want me to sing with these people? Yeah, been there. Get over it. Worship Jesus. It's about him. We see it in Hannah's life when she was barren and could not have babies. And she was so sorrowful about it. She would go to the tabernacle to worship in Shiloh. And she would be so broken hearted that in her praying and in her trembling, Eli the priest said, what are you doing drunk in the tabernacle? She says, I'm not drunk. I'm just terribly sad. And she cries out in prayer to the Lord. He hears her prayer and she gets pregnant. She has this baby. She names him Samuel and she consecrates him to the Lord. She takes him back to the tabernacle and she lets him live there as a gift to the Lord. He's to serve the Lord. And every year when she would go back up to worship, she'd bring a little tunic for him to wear. As a little boy, you go serve the Lord in your little shirt, buddy, you know. And then the next year she came, I made one a little bigger for you this year and a little bigger. And this man became the prophet of Israel who would anoint the king over Israel. And you know what Hannah did after the Lord took a barren womb and put a baby in it? She worshiped the Lord and wrote a song, like a whole chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 2. What would David do in times of joy and in times of grief? He would write songs. Guys, be songwriters. It's okay if it sounds horrible. Sing out to the Lord. Sing out to him. Songs of prayer and songs of praise. You might be suffering here today, but you might also be joyful. joyful. In either way, there's to be prayer and there's to be praise. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Who's mentioned here? We have, first of all, the church. We have, we have the church involved. And how incredible when people are sick, the church gets to be a part of ministering to this individual. Yes, it speaks of the elders of the church, but before we get the leadership, we want to look at this under-organization, this organism, this body of individuals. There is a church here. And one of my favorite preachers, as I was studying last night, I just had to write it down and had to share it with you because I felt like it was just good with where we're at in a church. And a passage like this where we're at, where we see that it's not just prayer, it's prayer in a community of saved believers here. And he says, James takes it for granted that his readers will be involved in the local church. They will be part and parcel of the community of faith. And in this respect, he's in line with the whole of the Bible, that God does not redeem individuals to live isolated, but to live in community and to be placed into relationship with one another so that the grace that reconciles me to God reconciles me to my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is assumed then that Christian believers will be in such a close relationship with one another that when they go through the rough and tumble of lives and the things they face in trouble and blessings and sickness, they will be able to face it in community. And the things they are left to deal with in the enabling framework that God's provided for them as a means of grace so that they're not alone by the presence of God's spirit being with them and of God's people. In passing, it is a reminder to us 
that the fierce individualism, which is part and parcel of American Christianity, has no basis in the New Testament. In passing again, if you come regularly to Parkside Community Church and you are not a member of our church and there is no good reason for you to not be a member, then I encourage you to take a card, write your name on it, and simply write on it, I ought to become a member of this church and we will get back to you. We don't make a fuss about it routinely, but we want those who want to be shepherded, who want to be cared for, and who want to make their gifts available for the people of God in the way that happens here at Parkside. It's the way we identify ourselves as being part of the church, not simply of the universal church, but of the church that is here, located here in this place. What a word for us, huh? What a word for us. You know, we got Sandy Adams at the beginning of our study who's clear over at a Calvary Chapel in Stone Mountain, Georgia, saying it's not just about prayer, it's being prayerful in a community of Christians. Where James says that there are elders of a certain church. It's a specific church. And so for those of you who get sick, you call your elders of your specific church. God has called us to community. He's called us to be part of of a local body. And again, it's not something that we want to harp on all the time here. It's just a direction that God is leading us by his spirit in this church. And sometimes we're going to hear about it more than others. But that might be a word for you today. If you're not a part of this church, sign up on the paper that Blaine announced back there and say, I want this to be my home. I want to be a part of this church. Who's involved? We've got the church, but we've also got the elders of the church, the shepherds responsible to and for the people. These leaders, these servant leaders who are underneath the the chief shepherd of the church, Jesus, it's his church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not the elder's church. It's Jesus's church. And he is the chief shepherd who's orchestrated under shepherds to help lead and tend and feed his flock to go to the one who's sick. It might be speaking a little bit of weakness. It might be speaking a little bit of mental sickness. Maybe there's moral and spiritual sickness. But you can't get away from the main plain things of the text. This person has some physical sickness here. Perhaps it seems that they're weak and bedridden so that they can't get out easily to be together with the church. So the elders and the shepherds and pastors can come at their invitation. Now here's something interesting in all of my studies this week that I found in multiple sources and just a plain reading. Who does James put the initiative in asking for prayer on? It's the sick person. The sick person needs to call the elders and say, I'm sick. Come and pray for me. Man, I... You know, as the Lord is moving us to just a faith family here where we are in each other's lives, I'm always so amazed when I hear like major surgeries have happened and, you know, all of this stuff and sickness and this person almost died. And it's like, how come we weren't called to come pray for them? You're going to go through that on your own? Don't do that. God has called us in the book of James to go and to be able to pray for you and anoint you with oil and to pray prayers of faith. James clearly puts the initiative on the person in need that they're to call the elders. One commentator said, it's not the business of the elders of the church to go out scouting for the sick. Help us out by letting us know so that we can go, so that we can pray. And it says there, let them pray over him. So once again, the remedy is prayer. We're to anoint with oil as is prescribed in scripture. Now, some people would say, 
that this is medicinal oil? And perhaps that's the case. You know, the, the good Samaritan, it says he poured oil and wine on the wounds of this man who'd been beaten up and put into the bar pit. So there may be some medicinal quality there, but, but I don't think that's the point or even important. Okay? I think as we look at Scripture, we see that, the holy, that, uh, that oil is a, is a symbol, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came on the scene in his ministry and he quotes Isaiah chapter 64, he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me so that I can do the task that I'm about to do in saving the world. It's the picture of oil, the spirit of God upon me, the spirit of God anointing me. In Zechariah chapter 4, there's this really cool picture of heaven. And Zechariah has this picture of heaven and there's two olive trees and out of the olive trees come seven pipes into different lamps. And just oil is coming out of these trees, just piping out of these trees into the lamp so that there can be flame and illumination. And Zechariah says, what is this? What, what am I seeing here? What's with the pipes and the oil pouring out and, and just fueling the fire? And an angel says, here's what this means. Not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This mountain shall be removed. This mountain shall be removed. So you're sick, you've got cancer, you've got depression, you've got all sorts of illness. Let the elders come, pray for you, anointing you with oil as a symbol of just the presence of the Holy Spirit being pumped out of heaven, the person and work of the third person of the Trinity coming upon you, pouring out upon you so that you can say, it's not by my might that I'm going to be healed. It's not by my power. It's by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. And that goes for anything in our life. I need more of you and more of your presence upon me. Anointing a sick person with oil, it's kind of a, a faith point. Something that builds their trust. You see that all throughout scripture. You have the woman with the issue of blood going to Jesus saying, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And what does she do? She's healed. You've got people that are, are trying to get near the apostles so that their shadow would pass by them, that they would be healed. You've got people that are having aprons from Paul and hankies, clean Clorox bleached ones, being sent out to the churches so that people could be healed by touching these things. It's not the Kleenex, it's not the apron, it's not the shadow, and it's not the garment that does the healing. It's, it, these are just things that help increase our faith and give tangible expression to what's going on in our heart. It's the same with the oil. The oil doesn't heal. It says in this very verse that the prayer of faith will heal. God uses the prayer to heal. Now, here at Calvary, you know, we've got a little bottle of oil somewhere here. Okay. I've got a tiny little flask on my keychain. It's got a little teeny, teeny bit of oil in it. Okay. And so, you know, I just always have oil on us. And so, you know, I go praying for, and usually that thing's out. And so I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, get that on you. But, you know, I always just pray, Lord, just as this oil is just, been placed upon this person's head, Lord, I just pray that 
the power of the Spirit would just come. All I had was the little dab, Lord. I just pray it would just come upon, your, your Spirit would come upon this individual. And just begin working and setting them apart for your purposes. If we had a whole that, we would just dump it on this person. But we don't, Lord. Just pray you would just pour out your person of the Holy Spirit upon this individual. You know, the scriptures say, as the oil is poured out upon the, the, the head of Aaron, the high priest, and it drips down his beard. That's just a picture of what the Spirit of God is doing when brothers dwell together in unity. And so when we pray for people that are sick, Lord, just let your Spirit just envelope this individual with your power and your might and consecrate them for your purposes. Don't go too far away, Johnny. We're just about to lead in worship. So, In fact, as soon as Johnny sets down the baby, we're going to uh, have the worship team come back up. <laughs> I've got an alarm here that's telling me, uh, because I've been hurting you guys lately with these long messages. So I, I've got it. End second service, exclamation point. Okay, so <laughs> end in this thing. I'll put it on your phone too, Johnny, so we, we're in sync together. Let's have the, uh, the worship team come on up. So what happens when we walk in faith Oh, that's so dumb. Anointing me with, holy, uh, with oil. Oh, uh. guys, everything that God calls us to do doesn't make sense up here. Okay? He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to anoint the sick with oil. And what happens when that, when that happens? The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up, verse 15. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, some people have twisted this scripture to say if you're not healed when that prayer happens, that you don't have enough faith or the prayer person didn't have enough faith, okay? Now, the whole of biblical context tells us that that is not a true statement. Sometimes God in his infinite sovereignty, he is working through this trial in your life and he wants you to go through this for your good, for his glory, to refine you, so that people can see you going through it and you can comfort them when they go through it. God is a God who works in suffering. But he does call us to pray. Now it may be that you don't have enough faith right then. And the Lord might put that on your heart. Pray with more faith. We also see that as we confess our sins to one another, living in community, praying for one another in our sins that there will be healing. I believe it's a misplaced idea to say that if you're not healed when I pray for you, you've got hidden sin in your life. I don't think that's consistent with the whole of Scripture. Now, it may be in a certain circumstance that there is sin that's quenching the Spirit of God, but that's not a blanket statement. So we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. As he's convicting us, man, you are quenching my spirit with that ongoing sin. And you need to get rid of it. And then I'll move in power in your life. There's an incredible principle here of living in community. And if we have sinned against God, we need to confess it to one another. Humbling ourselves. Admitting our sins to one another. You know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says... That if we confess our sins to the Lord, that we'll be cleansed, we'll be forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But James tells us when we confess our sins to one another, 
will be healed. Maybe healed from that sin struggle. Maybe healed from that disease. There's healing when we walk in the light. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that when we expose ourselves, the hidden works of darkness in our heart and we let it out, here's all my sin. Just here it is. The enemy loses his foothold in our life. We've exposed his little tactical plan. And then light illuminates those dark places. And the power of the enemy goes away and the power of the Lord comes in. May the Lord work humility in us to where we're vulnerable, transparent, sharing our sins with one another, walking in the light. I believe that God wants to do something in our midst as we move to prayer. And um, Danielle, could you go uh, just bring the children's ministry on in? We're just going to bring everybody on in here. Have the kids in here for this time of praying and seeking the Lord. And I just believe, man, since Thursday and just really beginning to dive into this text today, you know, faith, uh, James is a book of, of faith in action. And I was painting my house yesterday with uh, Jason and Jeremy, and I was like, guys, be praying for tomorrow. I just believe that God wants us to respond and to act and to act out his word that we're being called to act out. I've been going throughout the state and sharing with pastors what God has been doing in this church. And I just, we, I'm just like, we don't know what we're doing. We're just reading the Bible and doing what the Bible says. And so here we are in James where it says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing a song. If you're sick, call the elders. If you're in sin, confess it. So we want to just set our things aside and just move to prayer right now and move to worship and we're going to have the uh, core group leaders come up here and we're going to have the elders come up here to the front we're just going to have a time during these next couple worship songs where we're just obedient to the Lord and if you're here in this place today and you're suffering you're going through trouble you're going through anxiety And you know what? Every single one of us has had that thing come up in our mind. And the Lord would just say, hey, I want you to pray about that. And I want you to thank me. And I'm going to bring the peace of God over that situation. We want to make a, just a place for just as we worship, just those of you that are cheerful, just to sing out to the Lord. And we want a place today for those of you that are sick. You don't need to call the elders. They're already here. And you can come forward. And we want to anoint you with oil and just pray prayers of faith, believing that God is able to heal you today if that's within his will for you today. But, but I believe that God just wants to do something special in your heart today. Maybe even heal your body as you're obedient to the scriptures, coming to the elders. And maybe you're here today and just there's sin in your life. You know that you've offended God. You know that you've been living and practiced sin. 
trying to beat it, trying to conquer it. And this is a word for you today. If anyone is in sin, confess your trespass to one another and be healed. And you can come forward today and you can just walk in the light and we'll pray for you. As then it says, and then pray for one another. So as the core group leaders are up here, as the elders are up here, we also uh, would just invite you as you see a friend or a loved one come up, or maybe you want a friend or a loved one to come up with you, you can come up and pray for people. Um, maybe it's your, as Johnny said during worship, maybe it's your whole family that's like, man, I'm, we're worried about our family or we're worried about our kids or we're worried about our marriage. Come, come pray. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Let's go ahead, Johnny. Let's pray. Let's worship. And as you are prompted by the spirit today, let's walk in obedience. Let's pray for one another.